the Lord be with you. And also with you. Bless the Lord who forgives all our sins. God's mercy endures forever. Friends, near and far, we welcome you to this Sunday service of ordered worship in the nave of Marsh Chapel, Boston University. The liturgy, homily, and music are offered in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here at 735 Commonwealth Avenue, for our New England radio audience through WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe live at WBUR.org. My name is Robert Allen Hill, and as the Dean of Marsh Chapel, I encourage your written or emailed responses, your prayerful and material support, and as the Spirit moves, your presence with us for worship. On this Lenten Sunday, we affirm a great watershed of peace, grace, and freedom. For during Lent 2010, we are happily hosting a series of sermons on the theme of the atonement offered by our Boston University chaplains. Their messages will be recapitulated during the Good Friday service, a 50-year tradition here on April 2nd. During this academic year, Marsh Chapel has sought to optimize our administration and oversight of religious life at Boston University by improving communication and coordination through the office of the chapel director, by regularizing our monthly religious life council meetings, by expanding the membership of that council, by updating our standards and expectations document for religious life, and by filling openings in our roster of university chaplains, a team of eight now finally and finally full. Thus, the 2010 University Chaplains Lenten Series is an outcome, reflection, and celebration of this more latent year-long project. Today, on our fourth Sunday in the series, we are proud and pleased to welcome to our pulpit our Chapel Associate for United Methodist Students, the Reverend Ms. Victoria Gaskell. Beloved, as we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
Gracious Father, whose blessed Son, Jesus Christ, came down from heaven to be the true bread which gives life to the world, evermore give us this bread, that he may live in us and we in him, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. Beloved, in worship, we offer our gifts to God and neighbor toward the close of our hour of service. In worship, we lift our hearts to God in prayers of adoration and thanksgiving and service and pardon. In worship, we pause to listen, to gain patience, to find a way again to the true good and beautiful, as the gospel is acclaimed and a good word is spoken. In worship we sing in praise, if love is Lord of earth and heaven, how can we keep from singing? And in worship we confess, we remember ourselves before eternity, we catch again a fever of humility. We recall, limit, error, mistake. And by grace we shrug off a cloud of arrogance that so easily, so humanly follows us. We take, come Sunday, a spiritual shower under the good and cleansing rain of God's loving pardon. We invite you as the choir offers our Kyrie, yourselves to offer individually and collectively our prayer of confession. May we pray.
through some corda, lift up your hearts. Hear good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from Paul's second epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
us join together in reading responsibly verses from Psalm 32 with the antiphon. forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed are those whom the Lord does not hold guilty, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I did not declare my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and he forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let those who are godly offer prayer to you. At a time of distress, the rush of great waters shall not reach them. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You encompass me with deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be like an unruly horse or a mule without understanding, whose temper must be curbed with bit and bridle. Many are the pangs of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy. All you upright in heart. Now please rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel.
Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 through 3 and 11 through 32. Glory to you, O Lord. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me some of the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran out and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, Your brother has come back, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. Be reconciled to God. We can take Paul's entreaty in two ways this morning. In Lent, we are most often asked to consider how we can be reconciled to God from God's point of view, in light of our sin, which separates us from God. This is indeed an important and necessary part of our reconciliation. And this morning, our scriptures invite us to consider also 
how we can be reconciled to God from our point of view, in light of the resentment and distrust we often hold toward God. At first glance, the story that has come down to us as the prodigal son is a straightforward redemption story that does focus on a younger son. He asks for his share of the inheritance, squanders it in dissolute living, comes to rock bottom, and then comes to himself. He realizes that while he cannot have the life he had, he can still have a good life. He goes back to his reconcile with his father to serve him as a servant if he cannot serve him as a child and heir. Now the father on his part greets him with joy, is quick to reconcile, restores him as a child, if not an heir, and throws a luxurious party to celebrate his return. All well and good. But Jesus does not end the story with this happy ending. Instead, he continues the story with the arrival of the elder son, who bitterly resents the father's joyful reception of the younger son without retribution. He resents also the father's lack of appreciation for his, the elder son's, hard work. The elder son refuses to join the party even when his father pleads with him to come in. He refuses the relationship with his brother, this son of yours, he calls him. He questions his father's love for him himself. And we never do find out if he joins the party or not. If we are honest, as we are called to be in Lent, it is often a challenge for us, the good people, the Christians, the members of the church, to be reconciled to God in the face of what God and others choose to do. Even if others, no, even if others repent or undergo the consequences of bad or even evil choices, we still find it hard to believe that God can or should love them as much as we should be loved in our goodness and hard work. Some of you may remember the denial and outrage when it was reported that Jeffrey Dahmer, the serial killer, had repented and become a Christian in prison, and that when Dahmer was killed in prison, the chaplain stated that he himself did believe that Jeffrey was saved and would be in heaven with God. Likewise, the denial and outrage when Charles Coulson, Richard Nixon's hatchet man, repented in prison and went on to form his prison fellowship. Some folks found it very hard to pray for George W. Bush and Richard Cheney as they professed to be brothers in Christ. And some folks find it very hard to pray for Barack Obama as he professes the same. And in every given church deliberation, more and more progressives and conservatives draw lines in the sand with no allowances that God might even conceivably be present with the other side. These are just some of the challenges within Christianity. How much more are we encouraged by our culture and our own privilege to demonize the poor, the uneducated, the different, the refugee, the uncivilized, the them? 
even as our delicate sensibilities call us to resent or distrust God on their behalf. Like the elder brother with his father, we often feel that we have worked very hard as good people and have very little to show for it, or that what we have may be taken away. We feel more and more uncertain of our place in an entangled and globalized world. Climate changes and the decisions of others who we may not even know affect us and those around us in frightening ways. The complexities of our lives make us complicit in wrongdoing without our knowledge or consent. How can we be reconciled to God, who insists on love toward that which so deserves punishment? In any relationship, there are times when one party has a grievance against the other, whether it is a big one or a little one. That is not the problem. The problem arises when the aggrieved party does not talk about the grievance with the other party. This then becomes a problem for both. As the psalmist says, when I kept silence, my body wasted away through my groaning all the day long. As with sins we have committed, so with sins we feel are committed against us. If we do not express our grievances, they fester and turn to distrust and resentment. The problem is then compounded when the other party may not realize that there is, in fact, a problem. The elder brother at least expressed his resentment and distrust toward his father. The father then had an opportunity to respond, and he clearly stated his affection and his plans. Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. The reason the father celebrates and pleads for the elder brother's celebration is that the younger brother has come back. Come back not just from bad choices, but from his own death, from being lost to his family, from the true evil of his choices. In his response toward the elder brother's grievance, the father invites the elder brother also to come to himself to realize and claim for himself his own place as his father's son and heir, and to rest in that true identity. Maybe to claim it to the extent that he could just take a goat and celebrate with his friends, and not work all the time. Maybe to claim it to the extent that he could join the party for his brother, back from the dead, to be a son and brother again in a different way, but a son and brother nonetheless. Be reconciled to God. The same principle of openness applies to our relationship with God. Part of the invitation of Lent is to examine our grievances toward God, to examine the sins we feel have been committed against us through the choices of God as well as the choices of others. This is for our benefit, so that we know the grievances we carry, and so that the grievances do not fester. It is also for God's benefit, so to speak. We may feel that God already knows, indeed must know, what our grievances are, but to express them is to give God a chance to respond and to work with us to make things right.
So what does all this have to do with atonement? One of the preachers in my home church used to say that the meaning of atonement was at one meant. The same word, only hyphenated. At one meant. That in that great mystery of atonement, at one meant, God became truly one with us. And we are invited to become truly one with God in all the complexities and complicities of our lives. Indeed, Paul exhorts us to be reconciled to God on behalf of Christ, to be reconciled for Christ's sake, for the sake of the one who was both God and human, for the sake of the one who was made to be sin, who knew no sin, for our sake, for the sake of the one who from the very incarnation into our humanity and into our human life was God with us. While the mystery of atonement finds its expression in all of Jesus' birth, life, and ministry, it finds its fullest expression in Jesus' crucifixion, which is actually a pretty word for what actually happened. It was an execution, an execution by the state through injustice and torture, an execution by the collusion of religion with political expediency and evil. The experience of crucifixion is the answer of God with us. It is God's answer in love and solidarity in our suffering. It is God's answer to our resentment, distrust, and fear of uncertainty. This is how much God loves us. This is how much God wants to be at one with us, even to our death in suffering and injustice. In the, in the crucifixion together through Jesus Christ, we may experience the worst that sin as evil has to offer, but we do not have to give in to it. We do not have to become it or retaliate in kind. We can keep the faith that evil does not have the last word. That same faith in which Jesus himself, even on the cross, knew himself reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. We do not know the end of the story of the prodigal son and the elder brother, but we do know the end of the story of Jesus Christ's crucifixion. He did indeed die, but evil did not have the last word. There was instead resurrection and Pentecost and the birth of the church, which while often oblivious and co-opted and aggravating by its own choice, is for all its faults still on a good day, the body of Christ. And there is our ongoing sanctification in the work of the Holy Spirit. But these are sermons for other days. For today, we have the possibility and promise of our identity, precisely as we are Christians, those who have accepted the love of God with us and love God in return, who do indeed work to serve the good. So if anyone 
is in Christ. There is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. One of my mentors in the Ministry of Reconciliation says that you have to give people a way back in. Jesus told the story of the prodigal son and the elder brother in response to people who grumbled about the tax collectors and sinners that came to listen to Jesus and grumbled about Jesus when he welcomed them and ate with them. The grumblers, too, were good people, religious people, who worked very hard for God, who also were challenged by the choices of God and by the choices of others. Jesus offered the story to them to give them a way back in, to recognize themselves in both the prodigal son and in the elder brother. If we are honest, as we are called to be in Lent, we too will recognize ourselves in both. As good as we may be, we are in no way perfect, neither in our own choices nor in our judgments of the choices of others. Part of the recognition of the grievances we have with others is the recognition of the ways we may also be implicated in those grievances. To deny others a way back in is to deny it to ourselves as well. In the mystery and paradox of atonement, God offers us a way back in to relationship through our sin that separates us from God. In the mystery and paradox of the atonement, God also asks us to give God a way back in to relationship through our resentment and distrust and fear of uncertainty. If we take the way back in, if we give the way back in, there is a new creation. We are no longer caught up in resentment, distrust, and the fear of uncertainty. We are reconciled to God, at one with God, able to claim our true identity as beloved and at home, wherever we are, whatever happens. We also are entrusted. Entrusted. God trusts us with the ministry of reconciliation for others, even those whose choices we may find challenging. We are trusted by God to offer others a way back in to reconciliation with God, with others, and with themselves. When we accept and offer reconciliation for ourselves with God, and accept and offer reconciliation to others, we go a long way toward the elimination of resentment, distrust, and fear of uncertainty for everyone. We go a long way toward helping to continue to create that new creation for ourselves and for the world. Be reconciled to God. From both God's point of view and from our own, It is love that makes reconciliation possible. May we accept our own at one moment 
and offer at one moment to others with joy and thanksgiving. Amen. As we prepare our hearts and minds for prayer, may we sing together our call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord. Thou art source and origin. 
thou giver of breath, of life, of reconciliation. Hear our prayer, we beseech thee, upon this hour of pause and thanksgiving. Grant us the grace to allow others a way forward, a way in, a way back. Dear God, we place before you all that has befallen us thus far as we approach atonement, thus far in the journey of Lent. All our learning we present to you we bundle together all that we have known and the ways that we have grown in tasks partly completed, in challenges met, in losses unexpected and unforeseen, in spurts of creative energy, in disappointments, in surprises, in changed and renewed relationships. All of the experience of these weeks as we approach atonement, we give over to your spirit and embrace. Gracious God, we seek, we need we crave your blessings of imagination and of insight for the days to come. We seek for keen eyes to sense unexpected opportunity, for faithful years to hear a call to speak the truth, for steady obedience honest obedience to Christ Jesus is teaching, his healing, his church, his spirit, his words that we offer together as our common prayer. Let us pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.
The peace of the Lord be always with you. I want to give a warm welcome to all of those who ventured out in this not-so-pretty weather to be with us uh, physically present in the nave of Marsh Chapel. I also want to give a warm welcome to all of those who might be streaming online through WBUR.org or listening on 90.9 FM. And also, I want to give a warm welcome to those who might be listening on the podcast. And this brings up a good question. Um, what the heck is a podcast? Some of you may not be familiar with that. The podcast is a way that you can listen to the service um, at a later point. So if you're not available at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, you can always listen to us on the Marsh Chapel website, which is www.bu.edu chapel, through the podcast on your computer, or you can uh, download the podcast through iTunes and listen to it on uh, your iPod at a later point. So if you haven't already done that, I would encourage you to check that out. Another note, I know it seems like we just started Lent, but Easter is actually just three weeks away. So, um, in the next couple of days, we're going to be announcing our service times, and it will be put on the chapel website. Again, check that out, bu.edu slash chapel, to see what service times will be during Passion Week. And the last announcement, if you haven't already noticed, there are some red pads towards the uh, center aisle. If you wouldn't mind just taking a few minutes and filling those out so that we can get to know your names and you can also get to know the names of those who are seated next to you. If you wouldn't mind just passing those down and then maybe passing them back. All right, that's it. <laughs> now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
As you invite us to be at one with you, we are also called to be at one with each other. We offer these gifts because we have hope for resurrection, new life, hope in the church, and in community. Bless these gifts, we ask, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
let us go from this place in peace to be reconciled with God and to carry out our trust of the ministry of reconciliation for all the world. In the name of Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of that one who makes us, who loves us, who keeps us in everything. Amen. <laughs>